Welcome to Crosswords, the podcast about practical Christianity. What does it look like to walk in Jesus' footsteps? How do I live in a culture hostile to godliness? These are questions that we will answer as we get our minds and heart on Jesus. Good afternoon, everyone. So good to see you on this first day of the week. Thank you, Steve, uh, for that lesson. Definitely sets the right tone for our day of corporate worship. We're going to be looking at this scripture today and examining it. Romans twelve twenty one: overcoming evil with good. In Jesus' most enlightening and transformative sermon of its kind, he broke many barriers when he preached that sermon on the mount, found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He spoke about humility, poverty, mourning, things that typically people want to avoid. He elevated those virtues. He spoke about doing what was right for everyone, elevating that as opposed to doing what's right for me. He spoke about purity of heart, mercy, making peace. And these were exalted virtues to aspire to. And these are the ingredients that allow God's divine power to flow through us, through the church, since the church began. We're not a movement, a typical movement of mankind that resists, that rebels, or that advocates for individual rights. We've joined a divine force of love that makes permanent changes one person at a time. We're not out to change laws. We're not out to change countries or regimes. But joining Jesus' mission, we're out to save souls. Believing that Jesus' presence and his permanence is among us is really what empowers us to overcome evil with good. Because there's evil in here that first needs to be overcome. And then we will be able to help others overcome that evil. Not by any power that we might have, but just simply because we recognize the power that Jesus is extending to us. In Romans 12, 21, we read, Do not be conquered by evil. Which begs the question, right? Evil is a powerful force that wants to have you. God said to Cain, sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you. And we as human beings are very ill-equipped to resist that, lest to overcome it. However, we are given this instruction, don't be conquered by it, but conquer evil with good. How in the world are we going to do that? Well, see, the Christian lifestyle is designed to overcome the evil that continuously is coming from our very own heart, because that's the first one we need to learn how to conquer. And then eventually learn how to fight that evil that is constantly trying to come at us through the world, through other people, through situations and circumstances. Without Jesus in our lives, evil will consume you. Evil will overtake you because it is more powerful than you. I'm going to share with you today three considerations when overcoming evil with good as God's people. 
we need to consider that Christ lives in us. That this is not just an idea, but it is a reality that we need to open our minds to and meditate on. Number two, as our brother Steve so greatly put it, Jesus left a living example for us to follow. There are many things that he did and a lot of words that he spoke to help us consider the power that is at work in us. And number three, we have been given an unearthly power, a divine power that was God's promise of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So we're going to little by little consider these three things today. First, Christ indwelling presence. Let's explore this concept that Christ dwells within us through the Holy Spirit. Divinity manifesting as a human. I mean, that is an awesome consideration. One of the things that really put me to Max Lucado back in the uh, 90s was that he wrote very eloquently about God becoming man and the miracle that it was for Jesus to be born and to do what he did. And that is just a wonderful thing. If you meditate just on that fact and what God did for us, you are that much closer to becoming a force that evil will not be able to conquer, but it will fall at your feet. But I'm going to follow that up with something else. What about considering that that very person of Jesus Christ lives in you He dwells in you. That was his main goal. Oftentimes, I used to think when I was a younger Christian, oh man, you know, what would it, how awesome would it be that if we could just go to Jesus, if he was just in the next room and we could go and have a chat with him, just have a little talk with Jesus and everything would be fine. Wouldn't that be something amazing? But God did something more amazing than that. I don't just have to go to another room to look at Jesus or to try to hear him speak. Jesus lives in me. That's, that was God's promise. And as we read here, as Paul told the Colossians, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. You remember last week we spoke about the mystery? And what was the mystery? That God had kept hidden for the ages that not even angels knew? That God was going to take Two groups of people and make them one in Christ. To you and I, we're like, okay, yeah, that's not that much of a mystery now. (laughs) Because you've read it, you've come to understand it. But part of that mystery, as Paul declares here, is also Christ living in us. Something that gives us a hope beyond anything else in this life. He calls it the hope of glory. And that is worthwhile of your meditation of your thinking, of your reflection, because that is so overpowering and such a majestic thought that really should chase any other thing that's bothering you away because anything else is temporary. This hope in you is forever. Christ living in you. Holy God in a sinful person. How can this be? That's why Paul calls it A mystery. Part of that mystery of God's administration of grace. Part of his redemptive plan at work in one individual at a time. So that his church can become this powerful force of what he's trying to do. To demonstrate to 
The powers that be up in heavens above. The work that he's trying to show them. The multitude of his wisdom that he's trying to show these heavenly powers and mankind as well as we watch and are amazed by what God is doing in our lives. One life at a time. God in man. Man in Christ. Through the church. We are the body of Christ. It shouldn't be that strange. After all, Jesus spoke about that in this prayer, didn't he? This is the, the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed the night before he was to be arrested and suffer. This is where his thoughts were, brothers, sisters, and friends. This is where his heart was. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Wow, what a powerful prayer. Our thoughts should be going to this desire that Jesus wanted so much to accomplish, that he gave his, all his life for, that he sacrificed his personal desires for in order to achieve this higher goal. Brothers and sisters and friends, that's what our job as Christians are. That is what we're here to do, to be aligned to that majestic plan and to become a force to be reckoned with for evil. Self has to go by the wayside. Self has to be put to the side in order for God's divine accomplishment to be able to flow. And our desire ought to be this same desire. God in me. God is in me. Christ is in us. We are in Christ as a family in order for collectively and individually overcome evil with good. Sometimes there's a lot of evil to consider, isn't it? Sometimes you might think, wow, how can I as one person <laughs> be able to fight this, all this evil? That, uh, first of all, from, with me, from within me. Next of all, all the stuff that's coming from without me. Sometimes it can be very overwhelming to think and consider, how in the world am I going to do that? But you see, Jesus made it possible because he says, I'm not just going to be next to you. I'm going to be in you. I'm going to be working in you in order to accomplish this. So Jesus indwelling presence really helps us achieve this unity that he was looking for by reiterating the principles he preached about in the Sermon of the Mount, which is about what? Denying self. Carrying a cross. We remember that we volunteered our death. We volunteered it. And we decided to live for Christ on that day that we were baptized. That day we decided that we were going to die to the principles of the world and live for Christ. We're no longer ruled by culture. We're no longer ruled by opinions, whether ours or others. We're daily seeking to align ourselves to this glorious and majestic plan, which God has already seeded by putting 
His Son in you. His Spirit in you. This is how we achieve that unity. Not by great ideas or lofty goals that we might set for ourselves. What more lofty goal and ideal can we have than that prayer that Jesus already prayed? And that He already gave His life for to accomplish. I just have to get out of the way. Because I get in the way of that. When I haven't... When I'm not carrying my cross. When I am not dying to self. I have to be decisive. And I have to be intent in picking up that cross daily. Intentional in standing for the truth of God in my heart and in my mind. Regardless of where my emotions may be on any given day at any given time. Because that's how the devil tries to steer us away. That's the only thing he can do is try to manipulate you by how you feel. He did it with Jesus even. <laughs> Gosh, you know, our hearts are very susceptible to that, aren't, aren't they? Have you ever wanted to read the Bible in plain English? A language that you can actually understand and follow? Well... There is a translation like that called God's Word Translation by God's Word to the Nations Mission Society. This is the only translation of the Bible in English that follows a dynamic equivalent translation philosophy. It makes the Bible very easy to understand and it flows very naturally in the English language. You can follow along my podcast where I read to you from God's Word Translation for one whole year. You can search for the podcast on Spotify or your favorite podcast reader. Search for God's Word Translation by God's Word to the Nation Mission Society. You can also look it up under my name, Pedro Gelibert. You know, Murray and I have this running joke about trying not to get on the crazy bus. Because that crazy bus tries to make a stop at my house every day, man. And sometimes I get on it, and then I realize, wait a minute, what am I? <laughs> Got to get off this bus. It's very deceptive. We have to be very intentional in overcoming the wickedness that we see in ourselves and that is around us every single day. And the only way to do that, brothers and sisters, is by applying those principles Jesus spoke of on the Sermon of the Mount. We need to carry our crosses. We need to die to self because it was not our sinful self that volunteered to be a Christian, but it is our sane self <laughs> that decided to do so. Paul expounds on this a little by saying, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. Sometimes we might feel like we're being singled out like Job for something special. Oh, nobody else is carrying this cross except me. Why am I doing this? Why is this happening to me? Why couldn't something else happen to me? Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> I don't dare ask God for something else. Because God has a tendency to say, Oh, you want something? Here you go. I said, No, Lord. I don't want to ask for anything. I am thankful with what you've given me. Because if you've given me something, he says here, He will also provide the way out. So that you may be able to bear whatever it is that you're bearing at this moment. He is faithful in this way, Paul says. 
not allowing you to be overwhelmed, as it sometimes does feel, right? Your heart feels like, I can't take any more. I, I'm, I reach my limit. And then when we think we've reached the limit, God says, here's a little more. And we're like, okay, what? And that's when Paul, we also hear him saying, Lord, three times I beg you to take this thorn away from me. Until God said, hey, you're okay. You're fine. My grace is sufficient. That tells me that I have to remember what I'm a part of. Sometimes we expect living in this flesh that our life should go a particular way or another particular way. Each of us has an idea of where our life should be or should go. But most of the time that is very different from what God has set out for us. And you know what? When we got baptized, we gave up on that particular way that we wanted our life to go, didn't we? Because we wanted our life to go God's way. The guaranteed way of ending up in heaven. So sometimes God has to remind us and give us these testings, these bearings. But he's also faithful. Look for the open door or the open window during this time of temptation. And if you can't see it, ask for advice. If you don't, your heart can be led right into slavery of the sin or the temptation. James talks about it this way. He says, look, God has given us greater grace because we need a lot of it. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We all need a lot of grace, but it's not going to be found if you're arrogant. It's not going to be found if you try to stick to your guns and try to say, God, I've got it. He gives that grace to those who really seek him. Therefore, James says, submit to God. In your time of the deepest temptation or trial, as Jesus did, what did he do in the garden at that time? He surrendered. He submitted. He was on his knees. He cried. He gave himself to God. That's how we resist the devil. As James says, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. But here's what we have to do on our part. See? Because it doesn't just end there. He says, cleanse you, your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you're double-minded. Because the sin in our life and the hypocrisy is what's going to get in the way of the grace that God wants to give you in this time of trial. He's trying to teach you to surrender completely to Him during this trial. Because there is evil to be overcome. Otherwise, you're going to succumb right to it overcome evil with good this teaches me that i have to make a decision that every time i'm going through a trial i have to decide to put god's kingdom first and his righteousness i have to decide that i'm not going to get on the crazy bus i have to decide that i am going to stand firm in Christ, regardless of what's happening around me. Because without these convictions, I am powerless to the evil that wants to take over. Without Christ, and without me making sure my hands are clean, and that I have no doubt or hypocrisy in me, I'm going to fall right into the trap of the evil one. And there will be no grace. I need to surrender to God. That's how I resist the devil. And that's how he's going to flee from me.
And that's how God is going to come to me. I have to decide I'm going to walk clean. I have to decide I'm not going to be a hypocrite. And that is a force that evil has to reckon. (laughs) And evil runs away from when I decide to do that. As Paul says in Romans 6, 11 and 12, so you too consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Because sin wants to have you. And it's going to keep jabbing you on the side. It's relentless. It's going to keep tormenting you. It's a messenger of Satan. And if you let it reign, as he says in Romans 6, 12, you're going to obey its desires. Because you're powerless against it. But if you consider yourself dead to the world and alive to Christ, and you run to God, see, because I know my temptations. I know myself. Well, I, I can't say I know myself fully. Only God does. But I've become quite familiar with the things that are tempting me. And if at any point in time I decided that I was going to give in to it, you wouldn't want me preaching here. <laughs> I would give into it, I would obey its desires, and I would become somebody else. Maybe I would regress back to that Pedro, God knows how many years ago, when God called me. I know what those temptations are and those sins. It's not uncommon to be faced with those temptations. You're not special just because you have certain temptations and certain desires. You're a human being just like any other. But without God, you are going to become a slave to those things. Because that's what happens. But we decided on the day that we got baptized that we were going to overcome with Jesus. Because he's the only overcomer. He overcame evil. He overcame the grave. And now he lives in us so that we could do the same thing. But we need to ask ourselves the question, am I alive to sin? Or am I alive to God? Should I consider myself dead to sin? Dead to the world? So that God's power can be made alive in me? That's the question. Ground yourself in this truth. And in the sovereignty of God, as Jesus himself did on that fateful day in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was only one he could turn to. Only one who could change, who had the capacity and the power to change time, change people's hearts. God is the only one who can. And he is a merciful God, praise God. He is faithful. And so we turn to the example of Jesus' life. To further our conviction of being decisive to overcome evil with good. Jesus' life is the ultimate example of overcoming evil with good at every turn. Matter of fact, Peter summarizes it this way. He says, you were called to... This is what scares me. This, is, this scares my flesh side, right? It doesn't scare my newer inner man, but it scares my flesh. Because he says, you were called to this. Pedro Gelibert, you were called to suffer. Oh, nobody wants to hear that. Lord, don't we suffer enough already? We have to face the fact that we're going to die. That some disease is going to overtake. That's if not a bus doesn't hit us first. 
right? Or something else happens. I mean, it's a miracle that more people are not dead, isn't it? It's a miracle. God is sustaining the lives of people as we speak. <laughs> Why? Why do we as your people, Lord, need to also suffer at this other level? Why? Yeah, that's a good question. I believe we can find some answers in some of these passages. They might not satisfy you, but if you meditate on them, they'll help you align with the plan of God so that you can overcome evil with good, just as Jesus did. You were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You know why? Because every single one of us, if we haven't already had a Gethsemane moment or a few of them, we will. And so like Steve said, Jesus knows what that feels like. The author of Hebrews says that he had to be made like us in every way so that he could become a faithful high priest. Someone who can empathize in our condition so that when we cry out to Jesus, he knows exactly. We can be comforted that he knows what we're feeling because he went through it himself. That right there is power, isn't it? To kind of align our minds, help us be aligned with the plan of God, especially when times are tough, right? But that's what Jesus did. We need to follow in those steps. But it doesn't just stop there at the garden, didn't it? Does it just stop there with me uh, in the garden? What did I do? Does it just stop there with me at the garden crying and praying, God, take this away from me? No, that's my, that might be how it starts. <laughs> After you decide to go to God in prayer. But at some point, you have to pick yourself up. And you have to decide, well, I guess God wants me to go through. And I have to get up and I have to take those steps and decide to face that cross and carry it and despise the shame that may come with it. At some point you have to do that because that's when you're going to be overcoming evil with good. Whatever evil may come to you. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult. He did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But what did he do? He entrusted himself. Brothers and sisters, it's a question of taking your mind, your heart, your soul, everything about you and laying it there as Jesus did in Gethsemane because he judges justly. Is our flesh reacting instead of responding as Jesus did? When we're insulted, are we blessing or are we threatening? When evil pops its head, do you get angry and threaten and lie to cover up? Or are you instead choosing to be humble and transparent? Which one are you doing? We were called to suffer as Jesus suffered. It is a bitter pill to accept. I know it is. But it is the only way you will overcome evil with good. There is no other way. There is no other way other than Jesus' way. So might as well <laughs> take it, <laughs> accept it, and learn to entrust yourself to God with it.
If you like this podcast, please show your support by clicking on the support link on my Anchor FM profile. This ensures I will continue producing authentic Christian content as the Lord allows me. Thank you and have a blessed day. There will be suffering. It's difficult to endure the suffering, especially when you don't know why you're enduring it. Sometimes you don't know why. Sometimes it may seem very random. Sometimes you might think, well, Lord, I am trying my very best to do all these things, to forgive, to be compassionate, to show kindness. Why is it that in spite of all that, there's still this cross that I have to endure? And it comes in many different flavors. For some, it might be a lot of anxiety. For some, it might be a health issue. For some, it might be, I don't know, many different things. There are many different flavors to this. And sometimes we go through the stages of grief as we try to cope with these crosses that we're carrying. A health scare. An issue with your family. Something happened. The IRS sent you a $10,000 bill. I don't know what flavor it is of your trial. But at first, how do you respond? No, this cannot be. There's something wrong here. There's shock. And awe, because you cannot believe this evil that has come into your midst, whether it is from you or whether it's from without, then you might get angry at it. Maybe you start thinking about it, and, and that's the next stage, supposedly. Of, and, and all these come in, some of us are not textbook cases, so we might not go through these stages. Maybe we would skip some. But some of us go through this anger. Why? Why me? Why does it? Why now? Lord, can it be a little later when I got my act together? Then we start to bargain with God. We get to that bargaining. Say, okay, Lord. Okay, well, uh, let's see what we can do. And and, and our minds start mechanizing. How am I going to deal with this trial? How am I going to deal with this temptation? What can I do about it? And as we continue to bargain, God is just kind of crossing his arms, kind of looking at you. Eventually, sometimes we might get to a stage of depression. Where we're like, oh gosh, no, I can't do this. I I don't have the energy. I don't know if I have the faith. How am I going to do this? I I can't. I'm going to throw in the towel. I'm tempted. How am I going to do this? This is, this is the Gethsemane moment. I think this is where Jesus was at when he was in the garden. There's nothing to do but cry and pray. And when you're there, when you're there at that moment, that's when the light starts getting a little brighter. When you're humbling yourself to God, with this, entrusting yourself to the God who judges justly, as opposed to trying to figure out what you're going to do. Then comes that acceptance. Okay, I guess this is the cup that I have been given. This is the cross that I have to carry. Lord, give me the strength and the energy. I know I can do it 
Because you are within me. And at this point, see, this is where James wants us to get at. Consider it a great joy. Whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, that endurance must have its full effect. Brothers and sisters, there is no shortcut to this. I wish there was. I wish I could shortcut straight to acceptance. Boom. Yeah, I got this. I'm good. But that's not how it works because we need to be humbled. You know why God gave Paul, or actually why Paul figured out that God gave him a thorn in the flesh? This was Paul's musings. Because I'm sure Paul went through the bargaining and all these stages himself as he learned to deal with that thorn in the flesh. And Paul says in that passage that he was given this to keep him from being conceited. There's a reality there. You know what that means? To keep him humble. We need to be kept humble. We need to be kept in check. As Brother Steve said in his prayer here in the Lord's Supper. Because our heart can run away with us. And there is an endurance. There is a testing that you need to go through. There is something that you need to endure that you may not like. I mean, we do it for the gym, don't we? That's a voluntary suffering we do. When we go biking, I voluntarily suffer for an hour, right? To bike or to do this exercise. And you might say, ah, well, it's, it's an enjoyable suffering. Yeah, I guess you can say that compared to the others. But as Job said, shall we only accept good from God and not evil? Because God is accomplishing something through that too. Are we learning to see God there in the things that we don't like? Because there is a purpose that we cannot shortcut. Just like I can't shortcut my peach tree to giving me peaches in a month. Oh, I got to wait and I got to work and I got to feed it and I got to clean. And then it produces fruit. I can't shortcut that either. So there is a work, a process. That needs to happen so that you can become that vessel empowered by God's Spirit to conquer evil with good. Because it's not your good that's going to conquer it, see? You might think you can conquer it. You might have ideas about conquering it. But guess what? It's not your fruit that God is looking for. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so... There has to be a process because we are empowered by Christ's Spirit. Notice Ephesians 3.20, one of my favorite scriptures. To him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask. I mean, I have a pretty big imagination. I can imagine quite a lot. And God says, nope, <laughs> I can go above that. So I'm thankful. That fills me with hope. Christ in me, the hope of glory and hope does not disappoint sometimes I'm afraid of hoping because I'm a even though I'm an optimist guy I'm a catastrophic thinker that's at odds doesn't it seem at odds I'm an, I'm an optimist totally 100% I'm a glass half full kind of guy but in my thinking I'm completely catastrophic which gives me you know puts me in trouble sometimes so I'm afraid to hope 
Because why am I going to hope if I'm going to be disappointed? So I am challenged with Christ in me, the hope of glory. To hope because God can accomplish anything way beyond what I may ask or I may think according to the power at work where? Right here. I God has given me some power. I don't know how to use it yet. It's like, like those superheroes that have to learn how to use their power. Who remembers the great American hero, right? Yeah, only a few old people here that remember that. He had to learn how to use his powers. And so he stumbled and he hit walls. And it was a funny, uh, funny show. So all of us are like that guy. We don't know what we got. We got something. And we're learning that there is a power God wants us to use to overcome evil with good. And we're not doing it perfectly, but you know why? That's to the glory of God. So none of us can say, hey, I got it. You know, look what I did. That's why God does those things like that way. Because it's Him. He's doing some transformative work in here. He is weeding out some bad stuff in here. He is teaching me to be humble, to be empathetic, to be kind, to overcome evil with good. Because there's some fruit that He wants to bear. And remember, it's not my fruit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. This is not my fruit. All these good things here don't come from me. They come from God. My fruit is obvious. My fruit is bad. Which is why God warns me, Hey, you want to be accepted? Do what is right. Sin is right there at the door. Sin wants to have you. Evil wants to overcome you. From the get-go, evil has been right there trying to mess up God's work. It desires to have you, but what can we do? See, it's up to us. What must I do? I must rule over it. That's up to me. And guess what? God has empowered me to do just that and to overcome that evil with good. We just have to make sure we are in Christ. That's that in Christ, that is the most important preposition. In Christ. Outside of Christ, I'm going to be victimized. I'm going to be run over like a truck runs over a potato. I have no hopes. But God did something. This is that mystery. The mystery of the gospel. He put Christ in me. He gave me the Holy Spirit. So I am a force to be reckoned with now. Evil flies away. Because I know how to resist it and I run to God. And I can overcome it in me. And as a church, we can overcome it in our community. That's what everybody's looking for. Go back to that prayer that we just read, the high priestly prayer. How is the world going to know that God indeed sent Jesus? What's going to convince them? Apologetics? Messages about evolution? Archaeology? That might be helpful, but you know what's going to convince them, Jesus said? Them seeing us one. One as God is in us and we are in them. He says, that will show them that I was sent. And also, number two, by the way you love one another. That's it. There's nothing you and I can do above what already God has established 
in doing. So these are the three things for your consideration. When you're there between a rock and a hard place. When you don't know how to get out of this. When you're having your Gethsemane moment, consider these things. Let your mind turn to the fact that Christ is in you. And that's all the hope of glory you need. And consider what Jesus has done. Consider his life. Isn't that what the Hebrew author says? Consider him who endured such opposition. The scriptures tell us to consider Christ and how he resisted. And number three, God can do more than you can ask for or imagine according to the power at work in you through the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, cultivate this deep relationship with God. Friends and visitors who are here today, seek the Lord your God who made you. Only in Him can we really understand where our life is going and where He wants to take us. Make a commitment to seek the kingdom first. Be decisive. Be intentional. So that you can be empowered to overcome evil with good. Bring these things to our elders here today in prayer because we have a great God who does wonders and who can work things out even more than what you can ask for or imagine. Seek Him out truly with your heart. God bless you. 